if you don't have a real Bible, like, not that your phone's not a real Bible, but if you don't have a paper Bible, I really encourage you. There's, there's something that I enjoy about being able to, to write and make notes in my Bible and be able to go back to that and see what the Lord has spoken to me before. Um, and the reason that we use the Bible, that we go to the Bible every week at Crossroads is we don't just believe that this is a, a book of, of text and a, and a neat story. We believe it's the Word of God, it's truth, it's living, it's alive, and that when we read it, God speaks to us. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be um, in the book of Exodus uh, this morning, um, and we're kind of going to be traveling through a few of the historical books starting in, in Exodus. And, and what I want to talk to you about um, this morning is the plans that the Lord has and the promise of the Lord and why we can trust in His plans. Sounds pretty neat, right? Why we can trust in God's plans. And I'm titling my message, if you're taking notes, Positioned to Prosper. Write that down, position to prosper. So let's pick up. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 23. We'll have it up on the screen for you. And what we're about to read is the promise that God is giving Moses of the promised land. Um, And uh, there's a a few things as we read that I just want you to pay attention. Uh, Read well through it, okay? Listen to the words because we're going to be coming back to it. And I think there's some really important key things that is spoken in this promise that we should pay attention to. So Exodus 23 um, and verse 20, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you uh, to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Be care- pay attention, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice and do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you are careful to obey his voice and do all the things that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fill the numbers of your days." I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs on you, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates, and I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Now, that's a pretty intense promise that the the Lord lays out. But if you read carefully, through that. The Lord is very detailed in everything that he lays out, even minor details that I think we wouldn't think about. Like he says that he's not going to drive them out in just one year, because if if the land just goes 
uh, unoccupied that fast, the wild beasts will come in and they will devour the land and they will overcome it. And then they'll have another problem. But he says, I will do this in stages so that it's set up for your success, that you will succeed because he has positioned us to prosper. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the, the word that you want to speak to us this morning, Lord God. Um, I pray that um, our hearts will be open, Lord, that your word would dwell deep inside of it, Lord God, and um, that you would speak to each one of us individually, Lord God, through your word. Um, and we just pray that you would bless our time together. In your name we pray, amen. Um, any of you guys happen to be uh, chicken owners? And any, just a few. I'm surprised. I thought this was Rochester. I, I thought we all owned chickens. This is South Thurston County. Okay. Apparently not. So a few chicken owners. Well, you guys might um, relate to this. Uh, when I first started in ministry, I, I took a class, um, and it was from, uh, it, it, was, it was based on the idea of the class was uh, how to communicate well. And uh, really, I, I guess maybe how not to have boring sermons and things like that, and, and how you could teach one book for a lifetime and it still be relevant every time. Um, and so it was taught by a pastor uh, from our denomination uh, who pastors in Montana. Um, and and he, he had a mentor there that told him, he said, live a full life, live an adventurous life, so that when it comes time and you're in your studies and you, you need... Um, you know, sermon illustrations, that you have things to, to, to choose from. You have an adventurous life, something entertaining. And he said, raise chickens. Um, because uh, chickens will supply an endless return of sermon illustrations. And um, really this week, I, I couldn't find that more true. Um, as we decided in the spring that we were going to get chickens, uh, and we got 10 of them. Now we have nine because uh, one was a rooster and he was a jerk. Um, <laughs> so he went to a new home, which he probably just got eight. I don't know. Um, we didn't ask questions. Um, so um, the rooster's gone. We have nine chickens. Um, and uh, I, I swear every week there's something that is a, a life-giving moment. Um, it may take the life out of me with the chickens, but it, it gives revelation of life dealing with chickens, okay? Um, and so this week, um, I went out, like, we just, we've had chickens before, but getting more chickens now, we decided, like, let's build a really nice coop. And we had gone to, like, Tractor Supply and all the different places looking at pre-made coops, and they, they all look like if you, like, the wind gust blows, they'll just fall apart and fall over, and they're like $500. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend $500 for something that I could make you know, in, in a few hours, okay? So we go through this process, and we're like, yeah, chicken coop, it's easy. Uh, my dad is a contractor. I'm like, it runs in my blood. I can build something. Um, so we spent like four weeks um, building this chicken coop, and I'm telling you, I built a, a mansion of a chicken coop. Like, it's the chicken palace. It's, I, I feel like it's super nice. Beth takes a great job of making sure it's clean and tidy for the, the little girls. Um, and... And so they have what I would consider, it's like the promised land of chicken coops. You know, it, it's perfect. It's everything that they could ever dream of, ever need. Yet, um, s for some whatever reason, uh, it's not enough 
for them. Um, and so like we build these nest boxes in the chicken coop and we put nice hay in it, you know, clean hay that we refresh when we clean the chicken coop. Uh, well, apparently that's not a, a suitable place to lay eggs. Um, and they're supposed to lay eggs in the, in the coop so that they're easy to find, right? You, we have chickens so that we can have eggs. And so we go out in the morning and there's like two eggs and we've got nine chickens. We're like, okay, Something's not adding up. Well, finally, the other day, um, we're watching one of the chickens, and she's just, you know, they, they cackle and they go nuts when they're trying to lay eggs or whatever, and she's just not happy. And she's hovering around this old pig pen that's on the property, and we're like, no way. So I go exploring, and of course, I find in the dirty old pig pen, uh, there's this little nest in the very back corner, and it's got like eight eggs in it, <laughs> seven or eight eggs, like just this pile of them. And, and, come to find out like she's she's run off to this other place and she's got all the other girls to like now they're starting and they're all wanting to go lay eggs in the and it just drives me nuts and I kind of feel like sometimes that the Israelites are a little bit like chickens um and not I guess I kind of mean that in a bad way but maybe not that bad of a way um and that chickens just aren't the smartest animals in the world and we've got one chicken who's especially not very smart uh, and it's one of those like fluffy, uh, supposedly they're cute, but they're really ugly um, and they're fuzzy and stuff and it, it can't see and it, it'll just stare at the barn, like right up, like nose to the barn and just stare there. And I'm like, Lord, you have given ample supplies of sermon illustrations on, on how we don't listen to your word very well. Um, and so as um, we dig into uh, the story, we're going to get to see how the Israelites kind of maybe look like a couple of chickens sometimes. Um, and so Moses uh, tells the Israelites, he says, hey, will you go and, and spy out the land? The Lord has given them a command to spy out the land. And I think God had a purpose in this. And that it, its purpose wasn't to deter them from the promised land, but to encourage them. And so in Numbers 13, um, we, we read about what happens after the spies bring back this report. Uh, so in Numbers 13, verse 26 through 29, uh, it says, And they came to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Um, which I just want to note, like, if you, if you read on in the Bible, it talks about like the fruit that they brought back. And it talks about them bringing back a, a, a bushel of grapes, like one grape thing. And it says that they had to carry it. Uh, they, they strung it up on a stick, big stick, and it had to be carried between two guys. Like that's a, that's a lot. That's a huge bundle of grapes. Do you see where, I, like it has to be carried by two guys is how big the bundle, the fruit was great out of the land. Um, and they told them, uh, when they came into the land which you set before us, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land near Git. Uh, I just space, sorry. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. And the first point that I want to make this morning 
to help us as we walk in the promise of the Lord is that we need to remember the words that the Lord has spoken. Remember the words that the Lord has spoken. And I think that's just very key for us. When the Lord speaks to you, when he gives you a promise, write it down, memorize it so that you know the promise that he has for you. And that when the time comes, you will recognize the fulfillment of that promise. And then when opposition comes, you can stand firm on the words that he's spoken. I want you to listen to these words in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 23. This was the promise. Remember, we read it a few minutes ago. And my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break down their pillars. Who did he just state that, he was, that they were going to face and that he was going to blot out, and that he was going to utterly destroy. It's the same exact people that the spies just went and saw and are now afraid of. And in this moment, this should have been a moment of encouragement to them. What the Lord says he means, don't miss this. He takes his word seriously. God takes his word seriously. And his word, the word of God is the one thing that the Lord puts above his own name. He takes it very seriously. This mission that they went on should have been encouraging to them. They should have returned with the plunders and the harvest of the land and seen how good the land is and that it flows with milk and honey, which is a strange term. Um, that was supposed to be funny, cool. Uh, and... And yet they, they focus on their circumstance. See, God spoke the words and he said, these are the tribes. And they go and they're like, God, did you see those tribes? And they start to list them off. He's like, yeah, I thought we had this conversation. Didn't you remember that we kind of talked about this and I sat you guys down and we we're like, hey, you're going to go. These guys are going to be there. You're going to destroy them. Cool talk. Good story. Instead, they're like, they're afraid now that they've seen him. And he's like, I'm confused. I thought we had this conversation. You should have walked in there and said, this is what the Lord said. It's exactly the way the Lord promised it. So he's going to stand by his word because it's exactly how he said it would be. But there's two guys named Joshua and Caleb, and they remembered the words of the Lord. And they remembered the miracles that they had seen. They remembered the God that had just parted a sea before them, who then after parting the sea, swallowed up their enemies within it, who drove them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. They remember that God. And when the Lord promises something, please write it down so that when trials come, you can stand on his word because his word is true. Amen? Amen? The second point that I want to make, and I think this is really key for us, is that the right move at the wrong time is still the wrong move. 
the right move at the wrong time is still the wrong move. And so what happens here is the, the nation, they're all upset, they're all afraid, and they say, we're not going. They won't listen to Moses, we're not, we're not going. We can't take them on. And God says, okay. And he lays out and, and, and he says, because you doubted me, the whole generation who I promised this land to isn't going to see it and they're going to perish in the wilderness out here. And, and they said, why would you bring us in there for our children to die? And he says, those children that you presumed would die here, I will raise them up and they will see the promised land and they will see how good it is. And so he's punished them to the desert for 40 years and he says, not one of you who's of fighting age right now will see the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. And now the guys are kind of in retreat. They're, they're afraid now. They're like, no, 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 no. We still trust. Uh, believe me, we're still there. So they're like, we'll go in. We'll do it. We'll do it. Whatever. You, we'll do it, okay? And so in Numbers 14, 40 through 45, in verse 40, it says, they rose early in the morning and they went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. We'll go up to the place the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned your back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. There's a key phrase right there. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country. They did it anyway. They didn't care. They didn't listen again. And although neither the Ark of the Covenant or the Lord of the Lord, uh, nor Moses departed out of the camp, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. When we try to take the Lord's promise into our own hands, we will fail every single time. Abraham and Sarah tried this. I don't know if you remember it, but God promised them a son and, and Sarah was barren. And so it, she said, well, why don't you take my maidservant? But they didn't trust that the Lord could overcome Sarah being barren. And so they took the promise into their own hands and it wasn't what God intended. The right plan at the wrong time is still always the wrong plan. And they continued not to recognize that they needed to rely on God's ability and not their own ability. The biggest failure of the Israelites, and I think that you see time and time again in the Old Testament, in this story of the Israelites is that they always looked through the eyes of their own ability rather than the lens of the ability of God. And number three is when our faith fails, he strengthens it. And I love that even though Israel failed, he wasn't done with Israel. He didn't abandon Israel. There was some consequences to their actions, but they weren't done. 
And he began to strengthen his congregation and strengthen their faith so that next time there was no doubt in their mind that they could do what God was asking them to do, really rather that God could do what he was calling them to. Immediately after he gives the blow to Israel that they won't enter the promised land, he begins to strengthen the faith of the upcoming generation. He starts to reiterate what will happen what the plan is when they enter the promised land, when they cross over the Jordan Jordan River, he begins to prepare their faith. And this next generation grows accustomed to a relationship of dependence on the Lord for their survival. They spend 40 years in the wilderness and the only thing that they had to eat was sustenance that the Lord provided every day. And they would gather it up, and, and if, they, if they thought, oh, let's, let's gather a bunch so we can stock up and have a supply, it would spoil by morning. And so that every day they were reliant that God was who fought for them and God was who provided for them. And he strengthened their faith to become a generation that would rise up to look at their circumstances, not through the lens of their own ability, but through the lens of the ability of a powerful God who would fight for him. And I want us to look real quick at the difference between when the Israelites finally enter the promised land and their first call into the promised land when they say that they wouldn't go. And I, I just find this awesome because it, it, it's a testament, one, to God wanted to make sure that when they crossed over that river, they knew who provided it. They knew whose strength it was reliant on. Because when they first spy out the promised land, it's in like July. It's in perfect season. It's beautiful. The flowers, all of the things, right, to encourage them that this is the will of the Lord. He's promised. He's faithful. It also meant that in July, I think we all kind of Living in this area, we live in a river valley, so we should understand this well. In July, what's the river at? It's low. It's at its lowest point of the year, July, August, lowest point of the year. And here comes the time where Moses dies. And I love, love God because as soon as Moses died, it was like, bam, my promise is fulfilled. Then nobody would enter. Moses has passed away. Joshua, it's time. And what time is it? It's the middle of flood season. And the Bible records that the river is raging and it's overflowing its banks. And I actually found a video, and sorry I didn't pull it up for us all to watch, uh, but as I was studying, and, it, and it's a video of the raging Jordan River in flood stage. And it's, it's not like, you know, some rivers in, in the U.S. are big and they're wide and so they flood and, and it just kind of seems still like a, a calm river flowing. This was raging river that there was no chance I would be like, hey, let's go jump in the river for a swim this afternoon, like imminent death. Okay. And yet God's calling them in this moment. He says, pack up because in three days you're crossing that. But they came to a place of dependence on the Lord's ability and not their own ability that they saw a raging river and they said, that's no big deal for my God because my God is powerful and he fights for me. And here's something that just entertained me in my study, okay? 
as I'm, as I'm reading this is that the Ark of the Covenant, okay, which is this nice box that they built for God to dwell in, okay? And, and God demands that that's the first thing that enters the river. And so these guys carrying this big, heavy golden box, and there's a few of them. And it, so it's not just like, hey, you know what? Let me kind of like wade in here and see. Let's test the waters. They have to carry God into the river. So if they mess up and they fail, they're dumping God in the river. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, but here's the, the more ironic part of that is that means that God's the first one entering the river. Their feet may be the first thing to go in, but God is the first one going in the river. He's going before them. And I think that's just powerful for us to note in this story. So as we kind of start to close today, I think there's two types of beliefs about God, about situations when he calls us to step out in faith. Um, and I want to explain that. Um, but we got this opportunity to, and well, I guess we, not much of an opportunity, but we decided to put our kids in swim lessons, um, which has been entertaining. I, I love swim lessons. It's a fun time with the kids, and I don't always get to go to swim lessons, but I enjoy when I do. Um, and so I'm a kind of guy where I like really comfortable things, um, and I don't like uh, awkward situations very much. Um, I don't like, um, sometimes having kids is hard because they're wild and, and tyrants and people stare at you in the grocery stores, right? <laughs> and things like that. And, and so I, I'm not much where like, I'm going to just grab both my kids and we're going to go out for an adventure of the day, just the three of us, okay, without my wife. Um, that's just not my personality. I'm like, hey, let's play around the farm today. That sounds like a great idea rather than like go to a restaurant and eat rice and watch them spill it all over the place. Um, and so we started swim lessons and, and my wife, um, she's always worked at a physical therapy clinic in Centralia and every once in a while, and she stays home now with our kids, but she fills in for them every once in a while. And so they, they called, and they're like, hey, we're in a, a time of transition. Do you think you could work a few times in July? Well, it happened that the few times in July landed on swim lesson day, <laughs> which is great, I guess, um, but swim lesson day, so that required um, me taking both our kids to swim lessons and, and grabbing them around the arms and, and going into locker rooms and things like that and having to change them and there's a bunch of other people around, and I don't know why it happened to land in the summertime when everybody and their mother wants to do swim lessons. And so, like, it used to be that I could go into the men's locker room, and there wasn't any other guys at swim lessons. And I'm like, great, we have the whole locker room to ourselves, so I would take Jace with me, yada, yada. That's not the case anymore. Uh, swim lessons is packed, and there's like 500 people in a tiny locker room. And so we're in there um, getting changed, and, and this has caused me to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. But one thing I love about swim lessons is that there's this moment where uh, they've got this board, this big floating plank in the, the little kids in, and with the little kids, you get to be in the pool with them. And so I'm in the pool with our, our daughter, Ellie, and there's this floating plank and you, you stick the kid on it and they got to walk the plank. And so they, you know, it's a, it's a toddler on a wobbly plank and, and walk. And then the, the idea is they jump off. 
okay? And so you're there to catch them when they jump off, and it, it helps them go underwater and all of that. And the idea being, um, and I love watching my daughter because when we first started swim lessons, she was like, I'm not even going on the plank. And now she hops on it, and before I can even get to the other side, she's like ready to jump off. And um, there's this moment, and, and this is where I think there's these, these two types of belief of what God is like. And, and so there's this time where I'm in the water, and I'm, I'm holding my daughter's hands, and she's ready to jump in. And, and I'm there, and I, I'm there to comfort her, and there's that type of, of learning how to swim where I'm, I'm in the water and it's a safe place and I'm saying, hey, come in, come with me, jump in with me, it's safe, I'm here to catch you. But I think we often have this belief of God that he's on the sideline of the pool and he's saying, hey, jump in, sink or swim. Sink or swim. It's your job, I've called you, just go. And that's the idea that we get to, of Jesus sometimes mixed up in our head is that he's that God that would say, you're going to figure it out one way or another. You're going to jump in. If you fail and you start to drown, I guess I'll jump in. I'll save you because I love you. But I don't think that's the picture of the God of the Bible of Jesus. I think he's the God. He's the dad. He's the father who says, I'm right here. I'm already in the water. This is a safe place. Though there's enemies, I'm right in the middle of it already. And what I want you to take away this morning is that God is in the water and he's calling you to jump in just to meet him there. It's as simple as that. Maybe it's sticking your foot in a raging river, but he's already in the raging river. And then he's going to go before you wherever he calls you. He's already in the middle of it. But this is what I love and what just brought me to such awe as I studied out this scripture is that the original promise, God says, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you into the place. What's he doing? He's bringing us. That's not a push. It's a bring. He's bringing us into the promised land. And he talks about this angel and he says, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice and do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. And I said, who the heck is this guy? For my name is in him. That sounds like a pretty, pretty awesome angel to me. And so the Lord said and, and, and spoke to me a little bit. And I was like, hey, I, I've seen this in scripture before. And so I, I quickly, I flipped the Bible in, into Joshua. And the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan River flood stage and the river flies up in a heap and they walk across on dry land and they get to the other side and Joshua's ready to conquer Jericho and he's out in the plains of Jericho and Jericho's locked up they're afraid and he sees this guy out in the field 
out in the plains. And this is what the Bible, the account of it in Joshua chapter five, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him, his sword drawn in his hand. I think that's a pretty clear picture for me, a sword drawn in a hand. I don't draw my sword if I'm not in battle. You don't just walk around with your sword out when there's not an enemy present in front of you. This angel, he's out there and he's got his sword drawn because the enemy is present and he's in battle. He's already in the middle of it. He's already fighting for Joshua. But this is what I love. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the Lord's army and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face and he worshiped him. He worshiped him. That's a really key thing right there is that no angel is deserving of worship. No matter how great they are, no matter how mighty they are, no angel deserves to be worshiped by a man. And so that tells me right here, who is this man? And he goes on to say, he tells Joshua, he says, take off your sandals for the place that you stand is holy. Why is the place that he stands holy? It's because he stands in front of God. He stands on holy ground because he's not just with a simple angel. This is believed by great theologians because he takes worship, because my name is in him, because it's holy ground, that this is the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the commander of the Lord's army. In Revelation, you see Jesus come out at the end of the final battle, and here he is. It's the, like, it's, it's bad to the bone. No movie can top this moment, and it describes Jesus, and it says he's riding on a white horse, and he's got a, a robe on, and his robe, his cloak is dripped in blood. And on his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And a a sword comes out of his mouth. There's no movie that can top the warrior that our God is and that he goes before us. It's not just an angel that he's sending before you. It is Jesus. It is his son that goes before you to fight your battles. The one thing that I would hope that you would grasp today is that the, when the Lord goes or when the Lord calls, he's not just sending you and, and pushing you off the side of a pool deck. Mm, that's good. But what's even better about this is that he's with us every single day. Jesus, the guy, the commander of the Lord's army that's out there with Joshua, as he leaves his disciples here on earth, He says, I have to go, but I send you something better. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's better than me being here in the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to dwell inside of you. And the Bible says that that one greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But it also says that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. The same spirit 
powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and I. And I just, I don't think there's anything that can be more comforting when God calls us to go. And when there's a moment of trust that we have to trust in Jesus to know that there's a mighty warrior that fights for us and that his spirit is with us in every situation that we get into because he has positioned us to prosper. He's put us in a place to succeed. Would you guys hear that this morning, that he's put us in a place to succeed? He cares about us. He goes before us. There's nothing that he could call you into that's too big for him to battle. So we're going to close in worship, and I'm gonna, I just want to ask you guys if you would stand to your feet as we, as we dive into a time of worship. And we end this moment... Would you ask yourself as we, as we go into a time of worship, what is it that the Lord is calling me to today? Where is it that he's calling me to put my trust in him? What is the next step of faith he's asking me to walk in? because he's right there. He's the God that's sitting in the pool just like a child and he's saying, I'm right here. Just just jump. Take the, take the step. It's safe. I've called you here. I'm going to make a way for you. And the great thing about the story that we read is it's never too late. Is even though the Israelites may have failed It wasn't too late for him. God wasn't done with their story. So could I encourage you this morning that God's not done with your story. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He's not done with your story. It's never too late to jump into the pool and he's waiting. So would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me and as we pray and we finish out. Lord, I pray that Lord, that you would speak to each of us in this moment right here about the things that you might call us into, Lord God. But I pray, Lord, that you would work inside of our hearts, Lord God. Lord, for those that feel like maybe they've missed moments, Lord God. Maybe they've messed up too much, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would be knocking on doors of hearts right now, Lord God. I pray that you wouldn't miss a moment to say yes to Jesus this morning. And so as we close in worship, would you begin to say yes to Jesus this morning? In your name we pray. Amen.